0: everyone who tuned in again this is skeptically inclined some people say this is skeptically inclined season two but i'd rather say this is skeptically inclined second coming because we want to get this cultish vibe going on here um, this is our first episode after summer break, we back, we fresh and we're ready to rock. My name is Tom and I am merely half of the hosting duo. On the other side of the screen is, is my partner in crime, hopefully partner in life soon, the champion of
1: Sligo, fresh graduate, Evan. Hi everyone, uh, it's great to be back for uh, season two, second coming, where I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some say Jesus was the second coming. I think skeptical inclined was the second coming. Everyone, we are the Jesus for. of science, exactly. Uh, and just to mention, we also we have our uh, producer and regular uh, commentator as well, John. Say hello, John. Hello, everyone. Good to be back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hi, John. Uh, yeah. So, what are you going to talk about today, Tom? So, Evan, today I have
0: prepared news recap from June, July, and August. And um, I had the news about the Ig Nobel Prize ceremony, because I thought you, you will not find out that it happened. <laughs> but I guess you're not as ignorant as I thought you were. So <laughs> you you know
1: all about this anyway. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, today I'm going to talk about the third dose that seems to be uh, being used in uh, as the COVID vaccine. It seems to be more commonplace and kind of tying that in with this whole uh, full authorization use of the Pfizer vaccine by FDA. And I just want to kind of talk about it and give a bit of a skeptical, cast my skeptical eye on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm excited to kind of talk about it as well. Uh, And I think as well for this season, we're going to just focus on doing one main story. I think we did realize we overburdened people with two big stories. So I want to try and do a change a bit of the format um, this season as well. Yeah, I was just gonna say that we're gonna see what works and what doesn't work, yeah. and we just have to improve. So um, I hope you enjoy this uh, new episode. And before we get into our uh, your recap, Tom, how mm-hmm. was your summer? Did you um, did you have a nice great.
0: one? It was it was great summer. Uh, obviously, I went home. I white got boy to see summer, was white, white, boy. <laughs> white boy summer White, boy summer. What? White hot boy summer. It was really, it was really cool to go back home. And uh, we went off to Lehinchin Island, which mm-hmm. is on the uh, on the coast. Uh, we spent there a weekend. We did loads of drinking uh, <laughs> and just exchange of ideas i think uh it was really cool yeah and uh, of course i started i stayed a night over your place so i got a chance to go for drinks with the uh, with you boys so that was that was great and uh, now back here just got rid of my sister got rid of my parents they just visited me so i'm just so rejuvenated no homesickness i love the netherlands i love everyone let's <laughs> do it come by yeah,
1: uh, yeah, and you're hungry for a new season, so so hungry. I was so, oh, I couldn't wait. Yeah, you've a lot to get off your chest.
0: Yeah, ah, it's grand.
1: Yeah, and just to just to mention something, uh, I'd say by the time this episode comes out, I'm going to be graduated finally, uh, and Tom is, Yeah, and Tom is going to be my speaker for my graduation, so definitely going to try and record that and play it for you all. Uh, Next episode So you can see uh, feel as warm and uh, Thankful as (laughs) As when Tom says it to me So uh, yeah Really looking forward to
0: it It's definitely something That I haven't done before But uh, I'm excited And uh, (laughs) I just feel like I did set an example, not only to you, but to the other of our yeah. friends, because I was one of the first ones to commit to the master's degree. And now just seeing you becoming this fully fledged scientist is just something that really warms up my heart.
1: Like a mature. Like a good like cheddar. A- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good whiskey. <laughs> good whiskey. Yeah. Maybe yeah that's yeah. better. <laughs> uh, and before, yeah. And John, anything
2: you want to add for your summer? Did you have a nice one? Just a pretty heartwarming summer like yourselves. Um, it's nice to see you, Tom. It's rare that we get to see each other yeah. in person these days. So that was really nice. Before we get
1: go, jump straight into the episode, I, I just wanted to talk about mm-hmm. um, this topic that has close to my heart. Uh, so I, as we all know, when the pandemic hit, a lot of movies were uh, cancelled or put off for the this summer or the later this year. Mm-hmm. and uh so a lot of loom movie trailers are coming out uh like new hyped up oh, very hyped movies like the new james bond and okay um matrix matrix as well yeah. so i I when, I when i was just look, i was watching these movie trailers and one of the things i noticed with these trailers is that the top comment on youtube is like the most brain dead like it's almost like an AI generated these comments and I'm like how are they so popular so the first one I want to say was like it's a new Edgar Wright movie he's the guy who directed Baby Driver and one of my favorite movies Scott Pilgrim vs the World and he's a new movie coming out called The Last Night in Soho and I watched the trailer and this comment was the top it says I appreciate trailers with little to no dialogue. This kind of imagery is already captivating to me. And I was like okay, what? what?" (laughs) And that's got like 4.2k upvotes. I'm just like, what is how is that possible? Uh, Like, just doesn't make any sense to me. And the new Matrix movie trailer, someone commented, if John Wick was unstoppable imagine now with Jedi powers. (laughs) Glad to have you back Neo. (laughs) (laughs) Is this? <laughs> i was like okay this is like one of the top voted comments as well it's like who who like is upvoting these like no one just... talks like that no one talks like that yeah <laughs> glad to have you back neo then there's a new ne- netflix movie with leo dicaprio and it's like this is the most this is looking like the most expensive cast netflix has ever hired and that's like got 20k upvotes as i like, okay another like like really basic comment and then if Leo DiCaprio is stressed out and panicking in a movie, you know it's gonna be good. He needed to do the Matching McConaughey breathing technique at the beginning to calm down da- down. And I was like <laughs> it doesn't make it, I just was like It's very weird. It's very it's just like okay, like again this is a super random like Do you know what might be happening? You. Do you know what might be
0: happening? What? Do you know there was some there was some Point in time when Facebook was taken over by boomers, and they started like doing all the stupid posts, Super you know, like f- like parents what well, parents do on Facebook. Maybe YouTube is being taken by like you know dads, maybe, or something like that. and they just like you know that's how they talk, just <laughs> yeah. basic shit, and they're just trying to make but it. It, does, look it does so well
1: though. And then the last one I had it was the the James Bond one, and it's this made my day a whole lot better. <laughs> Okay, thanks for letting us know that. (laughs) (laughs) So, what I wanted to to do, sorry, what I wanted to do looking at this, I was like, okay, how do I make this science? So, I want us to try and go on YouTube, look up science news, and see if we can come up with a, a comment similar to this, that will get the most upvotes. And I wanted the three of us to do and see who ends up getting the most upvotes from like doing this basic drivel <laughs> okay we've come up with a comment we found our video so the video is uh, from a, a channel called SciShow Space SciShow Space and the comment the name of the video is the accident that revealed more about our cosmos so this is like it's already got <laughs> almost hundred, nearly yeah. 100,000 views so uh, they they the rules were you couldn't watch the video and you have we only had like 10 minutes roughly to write the comment so we had to, and the game aim is whoever gets the most upvotes for the next episode wins the wins it wins the, this competition like we'll get you a prize or whatever um so tom what was your um comment right. so i said uh <laughs> I said, gravity
0: is such a strong force and yet rockets are powerful enough to bring people to space. Cosmos
1: is pretty. <laughs> so yeah, pretty much nailed the whole, <laughs> oh, it's super generic and um, yeah. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'm going to win with this one. Okay. Uh And then for me, I just said... I wonder what other mysteries in our cosmos were revealed by accidents. Just shows how insignificant we are in the universe.
0: Yeah, it sounds so
1: profound and yet it's so empty. Yeah. Was that, oh my <laughs> that's God, that's part, exactly yeah. the whole point. Yeah. And I haven't a like, clue what this is about. So, uh, And then John, what
2: was your comment? Yeah, I tried to channel. I just thought of a way funnier, more simple comment now that I'd love to comment. But uh, I went with this one. I try to channel the kind of feel-good um, feeling of uh, <laughs> these comments and also Elon Musk fanboyism <laughs> This is my comment. Whenever I hear Elon Musk musing about the endless possibilities of space travel, it makes me feel something warm inside, something I can't quite put my finger on. It's videos like this one that further solidify this feeling of belief and hope in ourselves, the human race. We can do anything.
0: Oh, my God. Oh <laughs> Jesus Christ. That do, do you know what you sound like? <laughs> <laughs> Lex Friedman. When I read this, because <laughs> he's just, all about like hope and love, and this is just like filled with hope and love.
1: I think you got. It's a good strategy because you used Elon Musk and yeah. you're like making the person, the reader, feel good about themselves. So yeah. yeah,
0: and we don't even know if Elon Musk was mentioned in that video.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll come back next episode. We'll see whose comment is the best, and uh, if any of you want to. Upvote whatever particular comment you want to do. Um, Feel free to. um, What's the name again of the video? Does anybody have it open?
0: Uh, yeah one second the accident that revealed more about our cosmos and the channel is SciShow Space
1: okay shout out to SciShow Space <laughs> shout out for participating in this game <laughs> yeah <laughs> um right so yeah that was just our fun game today I suppose we'll start off on a a hap- a funny note on the season yeah um okay so into the serious stuff then tom let us know what how what was the give us a recap then of science okay um within so ba- the last uh w- over the summer
0: yeah so basically it was uh a lot things has happened mm-hmm. uh, over summer and i for each month i selected three science topic headlines that sounded interesting to me and uh, I'm just gonna share it because I thought more than three or two per month is just gonna you know you're gonna accumulate so it's gonna be a lot so some of them are more serious some of them are less serious I suppose Um, some of them are fun but anyway number one for June and this is not in any chronological order it's just what I found interesting the headline read, bacteria infected mosquito released into Indonesian city caused dengue cases to fall 77%. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is like an example of actually weaponizing an, an animal in a, an aim to prevent a spread of very um, endemic disease, so uh, such as uh, dengue fever over in the Indonesia. So basically what happens, what happened there is um, dengue fever is a mosquito-borne viral disease and it occurs in tropical and subtropical areas. And symptoms are high fever, rash, muscle muscle, and joint pains, but it could be very se- se- serious and severe. It could lead to bleedings and, you know, like shock, uh, life-threatening overall. And in the large-scale clinical trial, there there has been a 77% reduction in infections, thanks to a virus-fighting bacterium. These findings were published in the New New England Journal of Medicine. So basically what happened, they grabbed these these mosquitoes and they infected them with the bacterium. So the bacterium in question is Wolbachia pipanitis and this genus it's an intracellular bacteria that infects mainly arthropod species which are bugs basically and Wolbachia is known to inhibit viral le- replication making it more difficult for infected insects to spread disease
2: okay.
0: it is for these reasons it is the prime target to use in disease prevention however it has not until now naturally inhabited the endemic species of mosquito that is in Indonesia. So basically they had to introduce this new species of mosquito that had this bacteria and they let it interbred with the the mosquitoes that were present there in in this local area already. And once these local mosquitoes hook up with the new mosquitoes with that bacteria, that bacterium was passed along and uh, and basically, the, the, the dengue fie- fever virus was not allowed to replicate and, and you know, when people were being bite, bitten by the mosquitoes, the virus was just not active enough to, to cause the disease. And uh, so there was a big, big trial uh, done for it. And over the course of the trial, cases of dengue fever were reduced by seventy-seven percent, while instances of hospitalization were reduced by eighty-six percent. Wow! So it does have a big effect. Yeah, on um, health. Yeah, well, definitely. You know, these are these endemic diseases that do happen there all the time. That's yeah, why people. It's have- just
1: weird. I always. It's one of those things, though. Like you're never sure what you're influent- like affecting the environment or like the natural order of things. How what's the un Foreseen consequences of that Hopefully Yeah But if isn't, we... But like Bringing a, a new Species of mosquito uh, With that new kind of bacteria Like what's to say It can do wild else could it Unforeseen Circumstances can Happen because of it So Look I don't know I think this is great news for people yeah, I, obviously, yeah. but I'm just... Yeah. It's, it's, no, hopefully I, they have studied, like, know what the long term, because you don't want to just be like 10, 10 years down the line, you're like, oh, wow, this is actually worse than <laughs> Deng- mm. just having the Dengue fever or so. I, well, the the Wolbachia species
0: of bacterium or strain, it has been researched extensively, so they, they knew what they've been doing. And, you know, these, um, these, these bacterium lives in insects, in mosquitoes, just not in indonesia you know so like basically you're just replicating something that happened somewhere else in indonesia
2: yeah and then the alternative is to do nothing when they when you know that people are suffering
0: yeah exactly you know yeah and um look if, if they eliminate like dengue fever on all the other diseases that are present in this tropical countries then you don't have to get vaccinated you know i mean it's some people are crazy about not getting vaccinated when they go somewhere. So maybe that's one of the ways to do it. And the results were confirmed using uh, reverse transcriptase PCR and also enzyme-linked immunosorbid assays. So basically, they were looking for uh, dengue fever virus via the RT-PCR in humans, and then they were looking for uh, actual antigens. And, you know, it worked. I had one more for June, but I think I'm gonna speed it up and I'm gonna move to July. So in July, what happened was 15,000-year-old viruses discovered in Tibetan glacier ice. Mm -hmm. So um, we are all aware of the global warming, and I think we're trying to bring this uh, consciousness of global warming into the show a little bit. So I thought, what's not better than to show that global warming causes release of 15,000 years old viruses? And uh, so basically what happened is there was a glacier in the Tibetan plateau in China. And um, and this and this glacier has been forming over like hundreds of thousands of years if not longer and because of the layers the ice is frozen they can deduce at what stage the viruses were frozen in that ice. so hence the 15 um, 15,000 years um, so most of the viruses which survived because they had remained frozen are unlike any viruses that have been cataloged to date. So basically, new, new, new strain of viruses. <laughs> new, new COVID <laughs> viruses. <laughs> I don't know what were people, people dealing with 15,000 years ago, but uh, it's going to be interesting. These findings could help to understand how viruses have evolved over centuries. And uh, a special method was developed which allowed scientists for ultra clean method of analyzing microbes and viruses in ice without contaminating it. So I think this is uh, this is important. Um, so as I said, uh, this happened in China. The core was, the viruses were taken uh, back in 2015. Um, the glacier uh, is, 6.7 kilometers above the sea level. So it's quite, quite high. The ice cores contain layers of ice that accumulated year after year, trapping whatever was in the, in the atmosphere around them. And at the time, each layer froze. These layers create a timeline of sorts, which scientists have to use to understand more about climate change, viral microbes, viruses and gases throughout history. When they analyzed the ice, they found genetic codes for 33 viruses. Four of those viruses have already been identified by the scientific community, but at least 28 of them are novel. About half of them seem to have survived at the time they were frozen, not in spite of ice, but because of it. So now they're thinking that these viruses back from the uh, around the ice age are have evolve in a way to kind of be able to survive these uh, cold temperatures and uh, and as this one of the scientists who run that study uh, because of this evolutionary uh, advantage they were able to be trapped in the ice for so long but not be deteriorated or destroyed um, so again you know it's just it just emphasized the need for uh, for us to look after the uh, the climate because this is all nice and interesting. And, you know, researching into these new strain of viruses. But, you know, what if something melts over in Siberia, and, you know, it's, and it's gonna be something that, you know, is, it is also interesting, but also dangerous, like, you know, obviously, this happened back in 2015, they have been working on it for, what, six years now, and we still around. Uh, so perhaps these viruses weren't that deadly, but you know, it's,
1: it just takes a one, I suppose. Gods! What
2: great do you think about this? It's
1: great to hear when we're just coming out of one <laughs> pandemic. It's like, yeah, but the other one's just around the corner because of uh, permafrost,
0: our uh, neglection of the uh, environment. Mm. Uh, sticking sticking with the uh, viral um, viral team, another uh, July news was first human monkeypox case in the U.S. Uh, in decades, and that was reported by CDC. So a monkeypox, it's like a cousin of a smallpox. If, I suppose everyone can 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 kind of uh, follow the trade. So uh, on July 15th, a patient traveled from Nigeria to Dallas, Texas, uh, and they were hospitalized in Dallas, Texas. The CDC and the health authorities were working hard to track down possible people that might have came in contact with the patient zero. Uh, however, the, um, the risk of transmission is believed to be low given that masks were mandatory on the flight thanks to COVID-19 huh. and uh, lim- and that limited the risk of airborne transmission also currently a monkeypox which is called by by a virus called monkeypox virus <laughs> it's an animal disease and it's not that common for it yet to to be to transition from human to human or but what, how them. did he get it uh, i don't know it's not being. And what like how what does it co- is it is like respiratory disease. So the monkeypox just like smallpox uh, can can cause initial signs uh, are fever, headache, muscle aches, backache, swollen lymph nodes, chills, and exhaustion. Uh, there is a rash that might develop. Uh, likely, it will begin on the face and then spread on the other parts of the body. When I was reading about monkeypox i think it was said that it is uh, a milder form of um of smallpox oh, and okay. i th- and i think that also makes sense if you t- if you think back how the smallpox vaccine well it wasn't vaccine at the time but basically they used a cowpox to inoculate a milder people form of yeah smallpox. so perhaps it is isn't, maybe in animals it is a milder a
1: milder form but it's uh, that's amazing like how did they know to investigate it because, like, it sounds like again very similar to COVID. And I'm like, why did they? If I, I if that was a patient I was like my looking after, I would just say, Oh, they're coming up negative, but I'd say it's definitely COVID. I'm not going to do any more investigation. Like, I just maybe it was because they came from Nigeria. Obviously, they must have been like, Oh, possibly. Well, if he, but if you had rash, you know, yeah, but like, it isn't it like the list of COVID? symptoms are so vast
0: that you're like i I know but i still think i still think a doctor a medical doctor would be able to differentiate a a smallpox and monkeypox which is quite similar in symptoms uh to the covid and even if they test you then for covid and you don't have covid and you're still sick like they have to look into it right and it's
1: so often you come up negative false negatives so
0: uh, what, what, with the antigen, with the antigen or with the PCR? Well, sometimes the PCR, like, they'll come up negative when they might well, have it. I would trust in the education of medical doctors, and I hope they not just blame every single disease on COVID-19 <laughs> now My that they... negative, yeah, maybe that, too, a bit too uh They do their, they do their job. Uh, interesting facts, now that we talk about viruses, a smallpox is a double-stranded DNA virus. Uh, Mm. For all of you virus fans out there, please remember, SARS-CoV-2 is an RNA virus. I'm a double-stranded DNA virus. (laughs) Double-stranded DNA, son. Double-stranded for life. (laughs) Um, In terms of how infectious monkeypox is, or how fatal it is, uh, about one percent of patients could die due to it. Uh, But of course, it is thought that this could this number could be higher among the immunocompromised. Uh, the outbreaks of the monkeypox are not that common and it is uh, because the transmission from animal to human might happen, but then from human to human is, is rather rare. Um, so I think that's good news, but still we have to be vigilant, we have to take care of ourselves and we try not to bring viruses into home countries. Please be careful when you're traveling from Africa. <laughs> yeah, or any of the hotspots of, you know, uh, endemic diseases or endemic viruses. And that brings us to August. And I came across something interesting that was, uh, well, I heard about this. It's, it's a COVID resilience ranking. I don't know if you or John have heard about this. No. It's, a, it's a ranking uh, put together by Bloomberg. I think this is like a newspaper or some something like that, right? And basically, they look at all of the different variables and how the COVID nineteen affected it, and how the countries respond to it, and then they rank you and they show like the top countries from the top to bottom, just fifty three countries. Uh, how do they rank amongst each other in terms of responses to COVID nineteen? I
1: think I've seen something like this, but.
0: Yeah, maybe you have heard. Though, like I haven't heard about it, so I thought maybe other people also didn't. But um, do you know something more about the Bloomberg? Well, I like, ranking? Like if,
1: if if the number one, I could guess is New Zealand, is it? No. Oh really? It's not even in top ten, even. I thought it'd be one that dealt really well with the virus. I was like, well, surprised. I think
0: I think I you're you're in for a ride here now, kid. So let me tell you, there's uh, a. <laughs> The, the ranking was started in back in November, 2020. They consider many databases, indicators, and indexes produced by organizations around the globe and applied three fundamental criteria uh, with taking the list down to the 12 components that make up the current measure. Some of these variables include how complete is the data? Uh, collected by the country which we are going to to rank how current is the database of that country and who collects the data so i have a guess uh, i have 10 countries on my screen right now do you want to just name just spit up just call out 10 countries and i see if you if any Sorry, of I them just get is this, on the can list? i clear
1: can I get this clear yeah so the the resilience is based on how well they did with the virus how well they like the
0: yeah but it's kind of it's more than just like the vaccination rate in the country it also includes uh what percentage of the business is open and how how well does the country does what is the hospitalization number how many dead so there's like all of these different mm-hmm. things that come also into vaccination play vaccination
1: is included
0: it's like it's one of the uh it's one of the criterias, but it doesn't
1: necessarily have to is, be the and most this important is one. From the beginning of the pandemic up to that point.
0: Well, this is the most updated ranking because it constantly is being changed because different countries respond differently when they have a spike oh, okay, in okay. the infections okay. and stuff like that. Um So let's give list called out ten China? countries. China.
2: No. What <laughs> I'm thinking I'm just just say, is Ireland on the list. It is. <laughs> and would you, in my second guess is yeah. Canada. No, not in top mm-hmm. ten. Denmark. What was your question? You were gonna ask me, Tom. What would uh, I, I
0: guess about Ireland? Would you want to call what place it has? <laughs> Denmark That's a top is three. No, Denmark. Yeah. Denmark is not on the list.
1: Denmark. What the fuck? <laughs> <heck? laughs> It's really hard because I'm like, no, I just don't think anywhere in Europe Austria? that w- did anywhere that bad. Be- Austria right. is on the list. Yeah, so
2: um, that's six. So Austria, Ireland. Yeah. Germany. Mm.
0: Yeah. Seven. Switzerland. Uh, yeah. Okay. Eight. Yeah, those
2: all seem to do pretty well.
1: Um. Israel.
0: Nope. That's <laughs> nine. And the last one known right. The country number ten.
2: Is it a South American country?
0: Is there a South American country here? No. Evan, do you wanna call out the last country? France. (laughs) Oh god, you're horrible. No, it's not on it. Okay, just tell us. I'm just gonna tell you. Number one, Norway. Number two, Netherlands, number three. Finland Number 4 Ireland Number 5 Austria Number 6 Belgium Number 7 Germany Number 8 Singapore Number 9 Switzerland And number 10 Spain uh. So New Zealand was on top of this car For quite some Quite some time But they got infections now in New Zealand So that brought them down on this ranking Yeah but it's like so little Hey, infections. It's not only about infections. It's about how the
1: country responds to it. Okay. I suppose it's because they they shut down everything. They've locked everything down, so they're like, okay, well, they're not doing that well. But that's kind of. They're also behind
2: on vaccinations as well, aren't they? They don't have a lot of vaccinations.
1: Perhaps I'm
0: not sure if I can comment about that because I can see people covered by vaccines in the first ten. Uh, countries that I have on my screen, I don't see where the New Zealand is, so I can't say what is the people covered by vaccine percentage. Uh, but just for the relevant countries, Ireland has 67.1% people covered by vaccines, and the Netherlands 63.1%. Uh, at that so, time, uh, I so that was as of yesterday, because oh. I looked at the table yesterday. So you can see, even though the Ireland has by has a higher vaccine rate by four percent, it's still two points lower than the Netherlands, because presumably Netherlands is doing better on some other variables that are included in this ranking. But the case and,
1: rate in Ireland is very high. So. Yeah.
0: And, and I'm not saying that this is uh this is the perfect method to assess. I think this just can give you like one. This is like one of many indicatives of you, you that you can tell by how how well countries doing. like, by all means, this is not definitive, you know? Okay. Yeah. well that's the that's that sums up the news in science there okay, were that's cool.
1: yeah there was a lot of them and yeah yeah interesting so a lot of uh science doesn't stop over the summer it's always going no on. no and yeah loads of virus viruses and loads of climate change news i saw nice yeah okay cool thanks for that, tom uh, you're welcome uh, the recap For the so the main story today I wanted to cover was in relation to COVID and the vaccine specifically the Pfizer, um, biontech vaccine and basically the story about how it's got full use authorization now and and there has also been the use of third booster vaccines uh, in some countries. So since the last time this so this has happened since the last time we were on the podcast Um, and yeah the Pfizer-BioNTech it has approved full approval by the FDA for its use so before it was uh, emergency use authorization which is basically it it thinks that the FDA approved the vaccine for emergency use because it thinks that the potential advantages and the benefits outweigh the the negatives and the disadvantages for using it uh, and the benefits outweigh these and uh, it, and this was shown as the vaccine was very effective in helping prevent hospitalizations. Um, but there has also been this mention about the booster vaccines in those who have been fully vaccinated, especially in Israel, as to prevent the waning of the immune response over time. So the reason I want to bring this up is now is that there is supposed to be proof that the immune system is waning over time because they're using these boosters. But was this ever really covered in the FDA authorization about how long the immune response would last? And was a third booster ever discussed? And what do we know about this full authorization? And was the length of the immune response provided, covered in this uh, full approval? Uh, And this is what I want to kind of talk about today and kind of cast my skeptical eye on it. Mm -hmm. So we'll start in Israel. Um, at the end of August, uh, it recorded almost 11,000 infections, which was like nearly a new record peak for this year. And like daily? Daily, yes. Okay. Daily cases. So mm-hmm. I thought this was strange. Mm-hmm. Israel was an early leader in COVID-19 inoculations with nearly 6 million of the country, 9.4 million strong population having at least one dose, while 5.4 out of its 9.4 million had at least two doses so a significant amount of their population has um, been vaccinated and when they did have that there was this real drop off in their cases but now it's kind of gone back up again mm-hmm. it's now since began a booster drive for older people earlier this month and that has been gradually expanded and um, to include everyone over 12 with health officials saying that the effects of the initial shots, we can five months after inoculation, making boosters necessary. So far, when researching this, 2.1 million people have had three doses. So a lot of this ob- op- adult population has had a lo- and now three doses. Um, and again, I want to point out that even though the immunity might be waning, uh, only 520 people have died in Israel because of COVID-19 and they had a peak of 756 in hospitals compared to 1,400 deaths and 1,200,000 people uh, in hospital in January. So you can see the vaccine has had a dramatic uh, improvement of these uh, outcomes. So the vaccine is working, but what is driving this record high infections and why does it happen in a country with such a large vaccination rate? and this does mean that the immune response generated by the Pfizer vaccine is dropping that quickly so let's go back to uh, when the emergency use authorization was given by the FDA on the 11th of December it was based on this data i think everyone seen it in the news headline 95% protection against covid-19 and this was based on this preprint uh, paper with early analysis Uh, And then on the 1st of April this year, Pfizer had a press release that stated 927 confirmed symptomatic cases of COVID-19 demonstrated that the vaccine is highly effective, 91.3% of vaccine efficacy observed against COVID-19. And this was measured seven days through up to six months after the second dose. So still over 90% effective, it seemed like for around six months. So six months was like, a reasonable estimation at a minimum for how long the immunity would last. Um, so then, on the twenty eighth of Jan- July, they updated on more results uh, for their ongoing phase three COVID nineteen trial, but it didn't actually include any updates about what was the vaccine efficacy after 12, 10 months of the of the of the beginning of the vaccine vaccination. Uh, and actually, in fact, the paper is based on the same data cut off date which was the 13th of March 2021 as this April press release that I had been just talking about there previously um, with its top line efficacy result identical 91.3% um, and this is kind of important because you're like well they should have been studying this longer to see how long the actual immunity lasts for but they didn't um, and then you'd be like well then is this like something that they should be looking into before they fully authorise it by the FDA, but it didn't. Ultimately, it didn't matter because the FDA still approve has fully approved it, and they didn't think this was something that they should worry about, which I thought was a bit odd. Um. So going back to this ninety five percent after two months follow up, I think even the most ardent supporter would say this does not provide evidence of how long a protective effect is, and even back in December, the the senior vice president advisor Pfizer said they wanted to see how durable the protection would be. And this seems to be not have been studied in their preprint trials or their data they've reported. Uh, and this is an issue because waning immunity is a known problem for influenza vaccines. Uh, and some studies show that there's near zero effectiveness after just three months, meaning that a vaccine taken early may ultimately provide no protection by the time flu season arrives. And if vaccine efficacy wanes over time, the crucial question is what level of effectiveness will the vaccine provide when they actually become exposed to the virus, which often happens in, in winter. Uh and like influenza vaccine performance is always judged over a full performance and not just a couple of months, which this um Pfizer trial seems to have been only measured over. Uh, and this is where Israel comes into because They're like exclusively been using the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, and this is in a real world situation, not just a trial. Uh, And in early July, they reported that efficacy against infection and symptomatic disease had fell to 64%, and by late July, it had fallen to 39%, where the Delta strain had become dominant. So, this is kind of worrying. You're like, wow, this has actually dropped a lot. Uh, yeah, and for context, it- sorry. For context, the FDA's expen- expectation is of at least fifty percent efficacy for any approval vaccine. So that's why they seem to be like, okay, well, we need to use a third booster. Uh, what were you going to say? Sorry.
0: Well, but isn't it the fact that the that the protection is getting weaker because of because of the
1: resurgence of the variants? Okay, yeah, that's true. But this is something that. It, like this is something you should be like looking into in your investigation and um just because there's uh maybe it wanes over time or that there's a variant, mm-hmm. is that makes it acceptable then to be like, okay, well, we only looked at it at one situation. It doesn't apply to that. So But like how can okay? you
0: predict how can you predict how can you predict uh a, a resurgence of a different variant you know, you at the time you they were working with what they what they had. Yeah. But is not it just isn't it that normal that there is a buster shots to be to be
1: given? Yeah, but then that's another thing because they haven't uh assessed this in their original trial, like to I just say would this be effective in against uh variants? Okay. Okay. Um yeah so if you actually look at their preprint, the trial, um uh, so the length of immunity was only shown at the end of the July. they released this data, and it was already shown the signs of decline. Um they state that the vaccine efficacy went from 96% to 90% when from two months to like less than four months after follow-up, and then it went to eighty-four percent. Um, for four months to when the data was cut off, which was the March date. And that's roughly five months. So like from four to five months, it was declining to 84%. And actually, so this is a follow-up to what you were asking. This analysis was done in the US before this Delta variant became established. Mm. So you can't actually blame this vaccine efficacy declining because of a variant because that wasn't established it was mostly in this in this study was mostly u.s patients they looked like it was already declining and the variant wasn't established and how is the vaccine efficacy defined here what's the how do they measure that is the in in the trials they were measuring it based on who got covid or not so they would have the placebo and that had people who were vaccinated and then they just look what measured to see who had got covid and who didn't and that was the way they were measuring the efficacy. Would you get a uh, COVID or not? That that, w- that was how they were measuring it in the trials. But I think now we know that this is not the
0: perfect method of assessing the... Yeah, so the I w- F- I let me, okay. I'll, I'll get you into that. Okay, so, sorry.
1: Yeah, so w- waning efficacy has the potential to be far more than a minor con- inconvenience because it can dramatically change the risk-benefit calculus. Uh, and whatever it is, caused like the intrinsic property of the vaccine or the new variants, or some combination of like both that it's waning or a, a variant is causing uh, the effectiveness to decline. The bottom line is, it still needs to be effective. They still need to have kind of thought about this in their their trial. I would think, or maybe I'm, or maybe I'm being harsh on that. I think maybe I am. Um, but like until new clinical trials just demonstrate that the boosters increase efficacy of about 50% without increasing serious adverse events, it's unclear like two dose or even three dose, is it really worth the risk? Because it seems like if it is declining so qu- quickly as potentially Israel are saying, is the risk benefit not worth it? Um, And then another difficulty is that in calculating the vaccine efficacy about s- against symptomatic infection, the confidence interval is really wide because um, only half of trial participants made it to this four-month mark. Because, as I had, I had talked about this last season, in that they had started to unblind trial participants because it was shown that the vaccine was so effective, and they had to offer it to people on the placebo side. So, what this happened was you have this really wide range because you're losing your power because you don't have as many participants who got to that stage. And can you guess, actually, this is a good, how many people do you think, how many percentage of trial participants actually reach six months of blinded follow-up? How many, okay, percentage-wise. God,
0: I hate it because I always come up looking stupid, but I'm going to say, okay,
1: I'm going to say 45%. 45%. Do you want to guess, John? No? 20%. So, only 7% of trial participants actually reached six months of blinded follow-up. 93% were unblinded and actually got... They were followed by open label. So, we they had lost all them participants for, like, measuring over the six months. So, this... Despite the preprint appearing a year after the trial began... It's actually provided no data on vaccine efficacy past six months. Like basically, really, five months is what the max they follow them for. And the following is is like it's seven percent of patients. Um, <laughs> so it's hard to meant it's hard to imagine that less than ten percent of, ten percent of trial participants who remain blind at six months can constitute a reliable or valid sample to produce further findings. Um. So. Yeah, and this is why maybe this is why we're seeing this in Israel, because um, they didn't really like have a
2: good way of compar- comparing the two. Yeah, John. So we know in the trial, the Pfizer trial, the way of determining efficacy was how many people who get vaccinated contract the virus. But in Israel, how are they calculating waning immunity? Is it how many vaccinated people are getting the virus or is it the antibody levels of people who are vaccinated?
1: I don't. I don't know how Israel are calculating the f- efficacy. I think um, it must be that they look at. They must be looking at patients who are in the. Maybe they. Maybe they're able to break it down. Like who is vaccinated versus who di- isn't vaccinated, getting these cases of um, uh, COVID. I'm. I'm not hundred percent sure about how they're doing it. But isn't it true that also Israel opened very
0: quickly once they. They were declared by the world as the leader in the vaccination. I think they open they open up everything very quickly, and you know that was probably also a contributing factor to why to what they are
1: experiencing right now. But then, yeah, but I'm just like the way, what I'm trying to say is why is it that we're finding out in real time data this information rather than in the trial and the clinical in the paper? That's that's just the issue I'm having with this whole. Uh, why I'm re- why i I'm talking for, about this
2: for the original for the original trial, the task is to find a drug that's suitable for the virus that they're currently being challenged by. They can't like Pfizer is trying to develop a, a vaccine that
1: yeah, but then okay, the very fair, time. fair enough. But then the full authorization use that's something I would be like that should be something that clearly is is established. How long are we getting immunity for? And I don't think they've even looked into that at all. So um that's just that's just it, uh so do what you call I, it I it want just, to talk about are you calling this just bad science or bad reporting yeah yeah okay um anyway so we i've already mentioned hospitalizations it seems like it's massively reduced this risk anyway so does it really matter the cases that are, are going up but like hospitalizations are pretty much stable um and this is yeah Israel demonstrated eighty eighty percent Israel demonstrated 88% effectiveness against hospitalizations and 91% effectiveness against severe disease. So why does it matter, really? Well, the trials themselves, they never designed to study severe disease. And in the data that supported Pfizer's EUA, or their emergency use, mm-hmm. the company itself characterized the severe COVID-19 endpoint as preliminary evidence. They never That wasn't the primary endpoint they were measuring and hospitalization admissions were never reported and again they reported zero deaths that occurred of covid so again we don't know how long from studying how many deaths did occur in the vaccinated versus unvaccinated and again they've lost a lot of that b- the patient data set so you to mean it. the people that were not followed up properly yeah but like yeah. i can't, at the same time i can't blame pfizer for that because it was shown to be so effective, and like I think this is just an issue again with these trials, when especially vaccines in this situation, you kind of have to offer the people who are placebo the vaccine. But anyway, so we didn't—they didn't report on hospitalizations. We didn't know how long, how much to protect against deaths. It was only against cases, uh, and in the preprint, high efficacy against severe COVID nineteen is reported based on all, ti- all follow-up time, all follow up time but number of hospital os- admissions is not reported. So we don't know which, if any of these patients, were ill enough to require hospitalizations in the vaccinated group. And again, yeah, preventing deaths, there's so few data to draw any conclusions on. And this is kind of like the crucial question is like, is this waning at efficacy seen in the primary endpoint data also applied to the vaccine efficacy against severe disease? Uh, and yeah, the Pfizer's new preprint does not report these results in a way that kind of lets you evaluate this question. And it's kind of mad to me that we're actually only finding this out in real time data. So like they're not really thought about this issue like uh, and it's kind of is it more luck than anything that it's actually shown that it has prevented hospitalization. But at the same time, if immunity against the va- um getting obtaining COVID is waning, who's to say like we don't know? Is this mean that hospitalizations is going to be less and less effective against? Pre- is the vaccine going to be less and less effective at preventing hospitalizations? Um, and we don't have any data except real time to look and evaluate this. And what's the current? What's the current
0: uh, train of thought is that you get a vaccine, you can still get infected, but you will go through the you will go through the course of the disease with milder symptoms without the need for hospitalization there you might feel sick and you might transmit right yeah but like that's the thing Is like how long is this
1: yeah going to predict about it but at the
0: so- start they were all saying that the vaccine will be like you get a vaccine and you you don't catch the virus and you and you will be well that's what they healthy. studied that's that's but like that's how it started right that's where that's that, that was the end point. you get vaccine and you don't get that you don't get an infection that seemed like what it was reporting. Yeah. Yeah. So now we know that is wrong.
1: Now. So well, that's, that, that's well, not the right parameter to measure. A, I wouldn't. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. I wouldn't say it's wrong because mm-hmm. I think at the start you were like, okay, well, the, you want to try and prevent you getting it. Um, but I think yeah, now we kind of know maybe it wasn't the right one to measure, but I suppose it's very hard at the time they want to get this trial established. This was the easiest one to measure. Mm. It's just because this is so such
0: a washy-washy disease. Like, you know, it's it's neither something that you can just walk it off and it's neither something that puts everyone to bed. Like, you know, is mm. Yeah,
1: it's a, it has a variable yeah. Uh, effect. Uh, yeah, so like, basically, then to recap, we have no reported data past 13th of March in these tr- um patients unclear efficacy after six months due to unblinding and evidence of waning protection even regardless of this delta variant and yet the fda has decided to give this vaccine full approval and it's not even it did this without convening its advisory committee to discuss the data uh, uh, ahead of approving the pfizer vaccine because people wanted them to convene this advisory committee, have a proper discussion rather than just going forward and straight um, approving it, but just this done anyways. Should they have waited till the end of the year and try and get more answers to these questions before giving full authorization? Or were they just too afraid to do this because they would think it would fuel this anti-vax movement and more people would ask questions about it? Uh, And are we just flying blind to stop the public from being scared from getting the vaccine Uh, And yeah, the third dose, again, it was never evaluated in the trials. We have no idea like how long that's going to, immunities that's going to long last for. Uh, And yeah, I think the FDA should be demanding that the companies complete the two-year follow-up as originally planned. And I know even without a placebo group, it's still a lot to learn if you just follow these patients who um, got the vaccine, who were originally in the placebo group longer term to see how long this immunity lasts for. And yeah, I think they should be demanding more adequate controlled studies using patient outcomes in the now substantial population of people who have recovered from COVID-19. Yeah, and then regulators should bolster public trust by helping ensure that everyone can access the underlying data.
0: What I'm trying to, what I'm hearing from you now is that you don't have a problem with the vaccine. You have the problem with the way vaccine is being researched is that yeah. more or less correct and how it's been authorized and how it's yeah, being out questions being answered but wouldn't it make sense to give it a full authorization if there is no currently um and a successful alternative uh whether it's uh well perhaps the monoclonal antibodies but this is like so expensive treatment that it's not is it c- cannot be sustained for all the population. And there is, you know, there is all of these, uh, this noise about these other drugs that could be repurposed to serve as an antiviral drugs, but nothing is really conclusive on that end as well. So in the lack of any appropriate alternative would not, would that not be a good, good call to make something that is clearly working to some degree, given it a full authorization.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a good argument for it. But yeah, I just,
2: I you also, don't, yeah, go on. Can I just clarify on your behalf? You're talking about efficacy rather than safety concerns. Like this question yeah. isn't about safety, yeah. at all.
1: I think it's just okay. That's fair enough. But then, should the question of how long the immunity lasts be something that is known? Uh, and like, is that something that should be weighed up in giving authorization or not? I think this comes down to something that we
0: talk with luke about and he said that there is a different there should be a difference in communicating science to people who are not in science and to people who are in science mm. so for people who follow this with great interest which is clearly you i don't <laughs> think i belong to that group like they would clearly be interested in like how long the uh, the um, the immunization works, how long do you have You have the antibodies for? How long are they functioning? I don't know. It's for like a regular Joe. It makes it makes a difference. I think a regular person wants to know that, you know, I get a vaccine and I'm not going to end up in the hospital, for example, with, you know, under the respirator or something. So yeah, within like the scientific circles that that can bring like very you know interesting discussions but whether bringing it to the to delay people like would that make any like would they would anyone watch that Well how do you want like how do you yeah. wanna- no, i totally i agree. think it just
2: confuses muddies, yeah. muddies the waters even more yeah. than it already yeah. is
1: and it's it, it, i uh i uh no, i i do agree a- with, i do agree with you um
0: because I can't expect someone who didn't spend his life in immunology that he's going to understand, you know, all of these immunological concepts from a 15-minute show on the TV. <laughs> yeah, You're just yeah, going to yeah. confuse the poor fellow, yeah, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's like, that's like a great point because I don't know how do you... Because the way the like, media reports on everything these days, so can you, like, say that it's okay and give full approval, but be like, yeah, but we still want to like establish a bit more data uh, like yeah. as i
0: said it makes sense for us yeah. to seek this information out and but then to, people to would seize on
1: that they would seize on the thing like oh it wasn't approved and then people are like oh well it's not safe but like they don't and, understand the and reasons there is for it. yeah
0: and there is a tendency to jump to conclusions you know um, yeah the less you know i think the more prone you are to to jump to conclusion yeah
1: yeah no that's that's a, that's a good argument again so <laughs> But it's, I think it's just, we're at this point in so, in society or in reporting, this reporting of science that it's like everything is seized on. How do you, like, do this? How do you report on something, um, like, without scaring people? So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a weird part to be. Like, I think that's something that's definitely needs to be improved on within the media and... Uh, yeah that's i think i just i'd love to yeah that's i am glad you brought that up because i was really kind of struggling with it myself like wow how do so i mean Uh, if
0: we want to communicate a science in an appropriate way through media we have to get rid of opinionated media
1: yeah (laughs) i don't think you can do that
2: (laughs) uh, and i think there's a there's a call that needs to be made as well about how relevant some things are to be reported like it's always with uh public health matters everything is reported but like there's other things that massively impact your lives like I don't know the technologies used to build a car They yeah. change every day and they're not reported on like yeah uh, or regulations to do with laying uh asphalts on the road you know um we there's a reason that those things aren't reported even though they're very relevant to our lives Do you mean we
1: can't drive on the road safely okay.
2: like
1: <laughs> Exactly yeah and
0: yeah no I think I think that's the that's the point of it. I, yeah.
1: Watch Yeah, so I'd love to hear what people think. what what's your thoughts on this whole uh issue? Uh and what is it any anyway likely to affect what you're um would you get the vaccine or not? So yeah. let us know we honor uh Instagram, on our Twitter, so it's Skep at Skeptically I and Skeptically Inclined Insta Instagram and we can email us as well, skeptically inclined at gmail dot com. I just want to say one more thing. Yeah. I think we what we don't want
0: to come across is, is a people who say that uh, that there should not be transparency because there should be a transparency, but there should be a healthy balance of what what is needed to be said in the public and what is needed not to be kept in the like scientific circles, but like what brings more rev- relevance to be discussed within the scientific community and what brings what makes more sense to be given into the public? Because, I don't know, do you not want to overwhelm people with too much information? But on the other hand, why do we treat them as children? Maybe everyone deserves a full, full scope.
2: That's the, that's I don't know, that's the questions to be asking. We've seen that now in the pandemic where everyone is looking at this stuff every day in the news and they have all these opinions that, I mean, I don't think that, achieve anything everyone's an epidemiologist i'm exactly I'm,
0: I'm glad that the that the space race started again because now people are shifting slowly from being epidemiologists to being a climate change experts in uh mm. and the rocket engineers
1: so that's yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. let's
0: yeah. the other scientific fields deal with them now
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so um yeah that was today's episode i hope you enjoyed it i hope you enjoyed our first episode back i had a bit of a laugh i got learned some stuff we're excited to be back. Hungry to... Raring to go. Yes. And... Uh, yeah. So maybe just to recap. We talked about what we did over the summer. And then... We did a bit of a... A, a game of like... Can we make the generic most generic science comments on video... or YouTube videos. We'll, go, we'll get back to that next time and see... Who, who did best. At the moment we're still all at one like so... I, I don't think <laughs> we, do we... most probably could be a draw on this one. Uh... <laughs> And then Tom give us an update on the science uh, news over the summer. Yes. And, and then I just gave a, a overview of the whole full authorization of the Pfizer vaccine, waning immunity, third boosters. So, yeah, that was today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, anything else to add, Tom?
0: Yeah, if I can only say anything is uh, please follow us on all social medias. Uh, we are there for you guys um it helps us if you communicate with us and at this point if we are not your favorite science podcast then wh- what are you doing here like what are <laughs> we doing here seriously uh thank you for sticking in and uh let's um let's keep exploring this uh yeah. this journey
2: yeah i'll talk to you in the next one stay skeptical bye bye